you have your Bible, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're so glad you're here today. Um, you're going to get in my wheelhouse today, okay? When I say you're going to get in my... You're going to get... We're going to talk about a subject that I love as much as anything. We're going to talk about growing in faith. And I, if, you'll, if you'll pay attention, hold steady and pay attention, I can help you today. I promise you. It changed Amanda and I's life. The message of faith changed our life. We were victims as Christians until we learned about faith. And then all of a sudden we moved from victim to victor because, see, faith is the ingredient that will determine whether you're going to live life as a victim or a victor. Because the circumstances of life come to everybody. White, black, yellow, red, rich, poor, educated, illiterate, tall, short, thin, emaciated, or healthy. The, the circumstances of life come to everybody. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. We all live in a fallen world, a sin-cursed world. So bad things do happen to good people from time to time. And when life hits us in the face, and when situations come to us that are disappointing or disruptive or distractions or painful, it's easy at times, if we're not careful, to become a victim. And the reason most people are victims today is because they haven't understood faith. Because faith is the ingredient that will ter- determine whether you're going to live life a victim or a victor. And most of us Christians, most of we Christians, we heard the word faith. In fact, the word faith, the two words faith and love, are the most used words in the church world. And most people that are not a part of church, when they hear the word faith and love, they think of something that's spiritual or religious. But at the same time, if I was to ask most of us, Give me a good working definition of faith. Most people couldn't give it to me. So this morning, I want to show you, as we begin 2020, we're talking about growing. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about growing in faith. Turn with me to the book of Second uh, Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. We would say it, if it was now, he'd say... He's writing to Christians in Murfreesboro. He just happened to be writing this 2,000 years ago, and he was writing it to people he knew in Thessalonica. And this is what he says. He says, We all ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. So notice he's writing to Christians. And rightly so, rightly so, now notice this next phrase, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Paul says, I thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more. See, a lot of us think when we get saved, that's it. That's not it. That's just the starting point. That's just the beginning. Our our goal should not just be to get saved. Our goal should be to get saved and then start to conform to the image of Christ in attitude and action. 
And to do that, we've got to grow in faith. So what, what does that mean? We're talking in 2020 about New Year's resolutions. We discovered last week that New Year's resolutions are good in biblical disciplines. They force us to focus on what is ahead instead of continually replaying what is in the past. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. And then look at verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Maybe you, maybe people you know, every time you talk to them, Every time we enter a conversation with some people, they want to rehearse some painful past experience. It might have happened 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 20 years ago, but they can replay it like it happened yesterday. And they talk about it over and over. And whoever will listen, do you know those people? Whoever will listen, they'll talk about their hurt. They'll talk about their pain. They'll talk about their difficulty. And Paul says, if that's you... If that's me, then you're an immature Christian. He says, for those people who are mature Christians, spiritually mature, they forget what's behind. They put it on the back burner, and they focus on what's ahead. So, New Year's resolutions, changing, being different, growing, those are biblical disciplines. And I encourage everyone, every one of us in this room ought to say, this year I'm going to do this different. This year, I'm going to start changing in this area. This year, I'm going to believe God for this to happen in our family, in our life. If if you haven't come up with something that you're going to believe God for change in your life, let let me encourage you to do that. Because you're missing out. You're missing out. So, one of the areas that we as Christians need to grow in is faith. Faith. As a Christian, the first area we should make a priority in our life is to grow in our faith. Notice what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He said this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Notice Paul says he's talking to a bunch of Christians whose faith is growing. Whose faith is growing See, the ultimate goal is not to simply get saved, but to get saved and then be conformed to the image of Jesus or become like Jesus in attitude and action. I hear it every week when I'm out in the community ministering or talking to people, meeting people, and they find out I'm a preacher. Have you ever noticed when you find out somebody's a preacher, you get spiritual all of a sudden? People start talking spiritual and acting spiritual. So if they bring it up, if they want to talk spiritual, I'll talk with them. If not, I, I, want to, I, deal, with, I deal with spiritual stuff all day long. I like to talk about football. I like to talk about baseball. I like to talk about basketball. I've never been able to touch the net. But one of these days, it's a goal in my life. I like to talk about other things than the Bible and church. But if they want to talk spiritual, I'll jump in there with them. 
And, and uh, one of the questions I always ask is, well, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your faith. And I will hear this. Well, I believe. You know, what do you believe? And then I've heard this several times. Well, it really doesn't make any difference what you believe, as long as you believe. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. There's two critical questions. What do you believe, and have your beliefs affected your attitude and actions? What do you believe, and have your beliefs affected your attitude and actions? Well, people say, well, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Listen, if our believing has not affected our attitude and actions, the Bible informs us that our faith is dead. Our faith is useless It's not working. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Turn to James chapter 2. Look at James chapter 2. Notice what it says here. I'm going to read a a, a shocking verse to you. It says, Now some may argue, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? See, if our faith is not affecting our actions and our attitudes, the Bible says our faith is useless. The King James Version says our faith is dead. We have dead faith. Now, so I want to talk to you about faith. Let's let's just, let's break it down where we can all understand it. Did you know your faith is measurable? Your faith is measurable. And God knows how much you have or how little you have. And you and I need to know that as well. Your faith is measurable. The Bible talks about it. So when people say, well, all you have to do is believe, that's just the beginning. Your faith is measurable. How much faith do you have? Because, see, some things in life require a lot of faith. And some things don't require much faith. And if you're up against something that requires a lot of faith, and you don't have much faith, you're not going to get what you need from God. You say, that's hard, that's hard, that's hard. That's Well, let me prove it to you from Scripture. Let me just show you from Scripture. Turn with me, real quickly, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Notice what it says. And the evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Now, I don't have any proof of this, but I believe he was probably sleeping on that my pillow <laughs> that you see advertised. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Verse 40. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have... What's those next two words? No faith. No faith. 
Now he's talking to his disciples. And they were at a moment in their life where their faith was measured and they had none. So it's possible to have no faith. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. How many brought your Bibles? Got it? Got it? Good? Okay, we're going to turn now. Matthew chapter 14, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the, other, over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so... What's those next two words? Little faith. Jesus measured his faith and discovered he, didn't, he had some, but it was little faith. So you can have no faith, or you can have little faith. Now turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered in Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers on to me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such what? So you can have no faith, you can have little faith, or you can have great faith. See, our faith is measurable, and it, does, it, it, it needs to be important to us how much faith we have. Because this man was at a point in his life with his family that he needed great faith, and thank God he had it. He had it. All right, here's another one. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Romans 4, 18, the New Living Translation. When there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. So in these two verses, we see weak faith and we see strong faith. So you can have no faith, you can have little faith, you can have great faith, or you could have weak faith, or strong faith. And then go back to the one we read earlier, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also by itself it does not have works, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is what? So faith is measurable. Your faith is measurable. My faith is measurable. I can have no faith. I can have little faith. I can have great faith. I can have weak faith. I can have strong faith. Or I can have dead faith. And then we read about the Thessalonians. They had growing faith. So... When people just say, well, I I believe, I got faith, that's not enough. And what does that mean? Why is it important to have faith? What is faith anyway? But why is it important to have faith? You hear people use this kind of terminology. Well, she's a person of faith. Well, why is that important? Well, his faith is important to him. Well, why is that important? Or you'll hear people, I've had people come up to me, Pastor, pray for me, I need more faith. Well, why, why, is, why is having faith, possessing faith, even important anyway? Why is it important? Let, let, me, let me show you why it's important. Number one, did you know without faith, we cannot please God? Why do you need to have faith? And why does my, our faith need to be growing? Because without it, you can't please God. You can be a good person. You can, you, can, you can keep the Ten Commandments. But if you don't have faith, you're not pleasing to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, without faith, you can't believe God. And, and I'm not just talking about believing there's a God. A lot of people believe there's a God. The devils believe there's a God. But they're not saved. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. And, that's a conjunction, and that He rewards. Do you know, you not only have to believe that there is a God, you have to believe that He's a rewarder. That word reward means he has open hand and hand extended. See, you not only believe there's a God, you've got to believe that he rewards. He's a good God. See, a lot of people have a misconception of God. He's up there bad. He's mad. He's going to get you. He's going to get me. You, you don't have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he that cometh to God must believe that he is, not only that he's God, but that he's a rewarding God. He's a good God. He's a giving God. And if you have a perception of God that is something different than that, you don't have the right type of faith. So why is it important to possess faith? Because you can't please God without faith. You can come to church and not be pleasing to God. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. I wish we didn't have to go. My wife didn't make me women go. Just stay home. You're not pleasing God. You're getting on my nerves. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Come on. Come on. I want you to come. I want you to come. 
we'll go play foosball if in fact it makes you happy. Whatever it makes you happy. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What, what's, why is it so important to have faith? We're commanded to live, or mean to walk by faith. We are to walk by faith. Listen to what it says in Galatians or 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, if you don't know what faith is, how do you know how you're supposed to walk? For we walk. See, why is it important to possess faith? Because without faith, we can't please God. And we're supposed to walk that. As Christians, we're to walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. I like what the New Living Translation says, for we live by believing and not by seeing. What do you mean we walk by faith and not by sight? We walk by what we, our faith is in instead of what we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, feel in our bodies. How many times have you gone to work and some rumor, troubling, disturbing rumor, goes through the factory, goes through the plant, goes through the school, goes through your place of business, and it just messes up your whole day. You know what's happened? You've started to walk by sight instead of by faith. Because, see, if we learn to walk by faith and not by sight, which we are commanded to do, it doesn't make any difference what we see, what we feel, or what we hear. We're still going to walk in victory. Okay? But not only should we possess faith because without it you can't please God, and not only should we possess faith because we're supposed to walk by faith, we're supposed to live by faith. It's a lifestyle. It's not something that we just do on Sunday. It's not something, listen, it's not something that we do when trouble hits. Have you ever noticed when trouble hits people, all of a sudden they get spiritual? They want to pray, they want to read their Bible, they want, to, they want to call the preacher. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only time you ignite your faith, your faith is not going to be strong enough to overcome that trouble. See, faith, living by faith, is a lifestyle. It's not just something you do, it's something you are. Let me prove it. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in in it the righteousness of of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just, the just, the righteous, the redeemed, the saved, the born again, they live by faith. It's a lifestyle. Can I be honest with you? Most of us don't live by faith. We live by sight. We live by what we feel. We live by what we see. We live by what we hear. We don't live by faith. And the reason we don't live by faith is because we don't know what faith is. Here's another reason why you and I should possess faith. Turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 12. Notice what it says. Fight. Now, when I was district superintendent over 230 churches, a lot of the churches that I had to deal with read that verse and read that word only and stopped. They just started fighting. 
Notice what he says. The only fight that you and I are supposed to engage in as Christians is the fight of faith. Why is it important to possess faith? Because without faith, you can't please God. We're commanded to walk by it. We're commanded to live in it. And we're commanded to fight the fight of it. But if you don't know what it is, then how do you know how to fight it? Or fight with it or fight for it? Fight the good fight of faith. Now, if I was to ask most Christians today, and I was one of them, we hear about faith, we sing about faith, it's a word. Christianity is often called the faith. They came to faith. His faith is important. Sing about the faith. The word faith is a very common word, but most of us don't have a reasonable, logical, working definition of what it is. If I was to ask you, what is faith? Most people would say, well, it's faith. You know. You know what it is. It's faith. What is faith? Well, you know, Jesus. Jesus. No, Jesus is Jesus. That's not faith. If you grew up in church and grew up around the King James Version and made to memorize scriptures, you would go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and say, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Anybody ever heard that verse? Give me a working definition of faith. All right, here you go. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what it is. Well, what in the name of Sam Hill does that mean? What does it mean? The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. See, if without it you can't please Him, and if you're to walk by it, and if you're to live by it, and if you're to fight for it, if you at times have no faith, or little faith, or weak faith, or strong faith, or great faith, or dead faith, but you don't know what it is. It's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for you. So what is it? What is faith? We hear about it all the time. We're told to have it. We're told to walk in it. We're told to fight for it. We're told to live in it. We're told to use it to please God. The Bible says this. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So if we're going to have victory in this life, we got to have faith. But if we don't know what faith is, if we don't have a working definition that gets down to my house, where I live, and put it to practice in my life, then it's not going to do me any good. And that's where many Christians are. We're talking a good game, but it's not working out for us because we simply don't know. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So what is faith? Faith is a persuasion. Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is a conviction based upon what you've heard. Faith is simply what you believe.
It's not hard. It's not hard. Faith is a persuasion. Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is a conviction based upon what you have heard. Faith is simply what you believe. What is faith? It's what I believe. It's what I'm persuaded of. It's what I'm convicted of. And you know what? You got some faith. You got faith. There's some things in your life that nobody can talk you out of. You're persuaded of it. You're persuaded. And you know whatever you have a firm persuasion of, you got faith. You have faith. That's why the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 in the New Living Translation, it says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. Faith is simply what you believe. Next time that I teach on this, in the next week, I will take you scripture upon scripture where God uses, Jesus uses the term faith one moment and he uses the term believe the next moment. Because faith is simply what you believe. And get this. Jesus said, if you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and it would obey you. And see, you got faith or you wouldn't even be saved. How many people in here are born again? Well, let me tell you, you've got faith of the grain of a mustard seed. Well, why isn't it working? Because you've got to release faith. You got to release it. Faith has to be released to work. What did Scripture say in James? You say you got faith, but have no works. Your faith is dead. It's when you release what you believe in, that's when faith comes alive. That's why people say, well, it don't matter what you believe. Oh, yeah, it matters what you believe, and then you've got to learn to release what you believe. I, uh, I'll close with this. My, uh, back many years ago, we were pastoring in a little, at that time it was a little church and all good. It grew to be a mega church, but it was a small church at that time, and Amanda and I didn't have any money. Uh, church couldn't afford to pay us much, and we had no health insurance. And something happened to my hand, my right hand. I don't know what happened. Still don't know to this day what happened. But it started aching terribly bad. And it ached for about a week. And then after about a week, it got to the point I couldn't even touch it. I couldn't even touch it to things. And people would come up to me and want to shake my hand, and I'm right-handed. And you normally put your right hand out when your right hand, they'd grab my hand. I remember going, because when they'd squeeze my hand, pain would shoot all the way up through my arm. 
Uh, and I don't know what I'd done to it. At night, it would, it would wake me up. And now, almost two weeks into that thing, by now, it's no longer throbbing. It's fobbing. Do y'all know what that means? That means when it hurts so bad all the time, you're fed up with it, and it's not throbbing, it's fobbing. Anybody know what anything anything fob? That's a country hurt, all right? We were from all good, so that was fobbing, okay? It was a Wednesday morning, and I was praying early in the church, and it got to the point I couldn't even shake people's hands. I just... The only relief I had is when I would hold it down like this. If I tried to hold it up or if I moved it or if I even wrote with it, it would, I couldn't do it. And I couldn't go to the doctor because we didn't have no money. We had no insurance. So it was a Wednesday morning, and I prayed that morning. I said, Lord, if you don't uh, heal my hand, I'm going to have to go to the doctor tomorrow, and I don't have any money. We don't have any money. But I can't take this any longer. That was Wednesday morning. Later that afternoon, I was in my office preparing for my Wednesday night sermon. And I just had a witness, just a, a, a intuition on the inside. At the end of the service tonight, how the elders pray for your hand. Because I remember that scripture out of James. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. So I didn't want to make a big deal over it. You know, I don't like that kind of thing. So I preached my little message. I don't remember what I preached, but I'm sure it was dynamic. And, uh, and at, at, at the end, I said, now I'm, I'm getting ready. To, we're going to dismiss. But some of you elders, deacons, board members, before you leave, would you just come up here? I want to ask for prayer for something. I didn't tell them what it people in general what it was so most people left but there was about seven or eight people that came up said and they stood around me i said they said what are we gonna pray about pastor i said well i need you to pray for me and they said really what is it? i said i don't know it's my hand and one of them reached out. i said don't touch my hand you know i don't touch it i i it's aches it aches all the time i can't even put my sheet my hand underneath my sheet it hurts so bad for anything to touch it. And uh, I said, I just think y'all need to pray for me. Pray that my hand, for whatever it is wrong with it, it'll be healed. And they said, okay, we'll pray. And so they put their hands on my shoulders, and one of them put his hand on my head, and, and they just prayed a simple prayer. Can I tell you something? I was disappointed when they said Amen. That my hand was still hurting. It hadn't let up at all. And I thought, well, I'm doing what I believe the Lord told me to do. I expected them to say amen, and I was going to be able to shake my hand and shout and hallelujah, run around the church, and everybody had been happy, and I'd have been able to tell a testimony and write a book and everything else. But nothing like that happened. In fact, it was still hurting. Hurting just as bad. And I said, thank you, and... They walked off, and I drove home. Amanda and I drove home. I got home, it was aching. All the way home, in our little car, it was like the devil was sitting next to me saying, it didn't work. 
That faith stuff doesn't work. You didn't get healed. That wasn't God telling you to do that. That's silly. You got cancer. It's probably cancer or rheumatoid arthritis. It's serious. You can't get well. You're going to have to go to the doctor and you have no money. I mean, all these piercing negative thoughts were firing into my mind. I remember laying down at night, that night, Wednesday night, on the bed. And I laid on my back and I had my hand across my chest outside my sheet because I couldn't put my hand underneath the sheet. And I remember slipping off to sleep that night, tears streaming down my face, partly because my hand was hurting so bad and partly because I didn't know if I could, if this is ever going to get better. But I remember the last thing I said. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. See, that night I learned that some days you have to walk and talk by what you believe instead of what you see. And I slipped off to sleep that night. And when I woke up a little after five on Thursday morning, my hand was no longer hurting and it has never returned hurting ever again. And that was over 30 years ago. Well, what was wrong with it? Well, I don't know what was wrong with it. I just noticed it was killing me, and now it doesn't. See, to fight the fight of faith means I'm fighting with everything that's in me to continue to walk and talk and think what I believe instead of what I see and what I feel. Why is faith so important in your life? Because without it, you can't please God. You're to walk by it. You're to live in it. And you're to fight the faith, fight of faith with it. Why is faith so important? Because you can, it's measurable. God knows whether you have no faith, little faith, great faith, weak faith, Strong faith or dead faith? What is it? It's a persuasion. It's a firm persuasion. It is a conviction based upon what you have heard. It's simply what you believe. You heard that Jesus died for you on the cross. And all you had to do was accept him as your Lord and Savior. And when you heard that, faith rose up in your heart. And you acted upon it. And you asked him to come into your life and be Lord. And when you did, your faith was released and your life changed. Faith. And the Thessalonians were growing in it. You say, well, I got little faith. How do I get great faith? Paul said, faith comes. How does it come? You mean it comes? I can get more? Yeah. I don't have to stay where I'm at? No. 
In fact, here's what I've learned. At different seasons in my life, my faith's at different levels. So if I realize I'm at a place in my life that I need great faith, and my faith's been, been vacillating, I need, to get, I need to get my faith re-energized. How do you get it? Faith comes. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes, Paul said. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. Yes. Listen, faith. he didn't say faith comes by having heard. Well, you know, I heard that 12 years ago. Well, that gave you faith 12 years ago. It's not giving you faith 12 years later. He didn't say faith comes by having heard. He says faith comes by hearing and hearing. It's in the continuous present tense in the Koine Greek. It's a continual thing. That's why daily I read my Bible. That's why daily I pray. That's why daily, weekly I go to church. That's why daily I keep myself built up. Because I need, faith doesn't come by what I heard 20 years ago. Faith comes by what I'm being revealed to me today. Stand with me, would you?